Would you pray with me? Father, we do ask that you would open your word this morning and give us your Holy Spirit. You would speak it to our minds, you would plant it in our hearts, and you would grow it in faith in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, please be seated. Good morning again. It is great to be here as we uh, shared in that opening prayer. A bunch of men, 50 or so, are at the Camp Luther Ridge in the mountains, worshiping together right about now. So we stand with them uh, and worship before our Lord. Uh, ten or, uh, eight or ten men are in Lieber prison, ministering to the prisoners the gospel of grace and the gospel of cookies, thanks to many of y'all. Um, they are sharing God's love through cookies and through the Word of God. And so we are worshiping in a very spread out way this morning, um, but it is beautiful. So uh, it's good to be here with you. Uh, I, I want you to know that the apple never falls far from the tree. Now, if you are a kid of a parent, which I know all of you are, and you grew up in your parents' household, right? You, as you get older, you start realizing how exactly you are like your parent, right? Some of you are sitting next to your parents or near your parents right now, and so you don't want to look at each other because that would be like, oh, embarrassing. Um, but if you, if you have ever seen a picture of me and my dad, you will know that the apple never falls far from the tree. Uh, the Reverend Dr. Leon Spencer and I look almost alike. I mean, we have beards that are gray, we are the same height, and uh, we are very much mirror images of each other. But we're not simply looking alike, we are like in very uh, odd and strange ways, and some of them funny. Besides looking alike, it is cool that my father and I are both priests in the church. He's a retired Episcopal priest, but like my father, it's also very strange that he and I both married women from Minnesota. Um, <laughs> odd. They, they were born and raised in towns about 25 miles apart from each other. Um, so when they get together, they're a, sh uh, they're a strange pair as well. Um, I didn't just call my wife strange in the pulpit, did I? You're not, you are recording this, darn. Um, so we're strange that we're both married to Minnesotans, and it's funny that we have the same sense of humor. We are very much mirror images of each other. When I was a kid at camp, my dad would do funny things. I, like most kids, would love that hour when you received mail from home, right? It was the mail call, and at St. Christopher, it came when you had rest period after lunch, and you would be in your bunk, and the counselor would come and distribute mail. And inevitably, throughout the week, I would, somewhere in the week, I would get a letter from my dad. And there I would be in the bunk during quiet time, and mail was handed out, and I'd open the envelope, and here is what I would find. Now, I don't know that you can see this, but this is a letter that is uh, backwards. And he would write a very long letter backwards to me, and so it was very difficult to read. Now, here's what he would do. Now, he took his typewriter. Y'all know what that is, right? No, of course you don't know what a typewriter is. Nobody does anymore. He would take a typewriter, and he'd put a piece of paper in, and then he'd put a second piece of paper, and then he'd take a piece of carbon paper. Now, y'all don't know what carbon paper is, but it's the way that they made duplicates long ago. And he would put it reversed so that as he typed on the second sheet of paper, everything would be typed backwards. Now, there, is two, there are two ways to read this letter. The first is very painful and makes your head explode. They're just trying to read it word by word, right to left. And the other way is to do what? Hold it up to a mirror, right? And so you would sit there, you'd climb down from your bunk, go up to the mirror and hold it out like the one dorky kid because your dad has a sense of humor. And you'd be like, ah. 
Here's the thing. One of the things that Jesus does when he brings the kingdom of God to us is that he helps to see, helps us to see the world from his perspective. And his perspective is usually almost 180 degrees opposite of ours. With my dad's letter, I could muddle my way through, but only when I started to look at it from his perspective, right? The way you normally type, when it was flipped over, could I see what he intended? And Jesus does this in many ways for you and me. See, he is in the reversal business. He wants to take the things that we have misunderstood and flip them around so that we could understand what he intends, what God intends for the world. And when we read his word, when you are in the Bible, you see this throughout the New Testament. We learn that he comes to reverse the effects of sin. He comes to take our weakness and turn it into strength. He comes to turn bondage into freedom, and he comes to turn death into life, all of which are reversals from the way that we understand and live out this life in this world. And this morning, he takes one more thing to reverse for us. He says this, that you can find freedom, you can find joy when we are generous with giving our money and our possessions. And that is exactly the opposite of what the world says. The world says that if we just hold on to our money, that it will offer us freedom. If we just have more money, it will offer us security. If we just put a little bit away, we can have more moments of pleasure, more moments of travel, more moments of exquisite meals. And we think that when we have it, we are happy. But is it really all those things? See, the story money tells about us is often really a story of desperation and preoccupation. It is often a story of selfishness and self-living and distraction from the things that are real. It is often a story of debt and bondage. And I think we see in our passage this morning from Luke's gospel, we see these things bear out. And so if it is so that we, this is often the way we're actually living, how do you and I find freedom from Christ when it comes to our money and possessions? That's our question this morning. So if you look there in your bulletin, I'll just tell you the context of this. Luke chapter 12, Jesus is in the midst of teaching his disciples about how to live for him in the world. Earlier in the chapter, it becomes an important lesson for him. And it is an important lesson for us. He's preparing them to live a life of faith for him in the face of persecution. In the face of a world that says, live a different way. He's teaching them how to live for him. And how to have an authentic, public witness for him. That's the context of our reading this morning. So essentially, he's preparing them, and he's preparing us to live for him in the world. Now, it really shouldn't surprise us that if Jesus is preparing his disciples for kingdom living, that the issues of money and possessions would also be included in that. 
It's a question of major significance for all of us. And how do we then, knowing that we have a certain amount of resources, knowing that God intends for us to use them for the care of our family, for the, uh, provision, the daily provision of food and housing and those things, how do we take that and then find the freedom that comes from living for him and to using that money for his glory? But he says this, that we can have life in our finances. That is the promise of Scripture. So he's teaching the disciples within the larger crowd of people who aren't his disciples. And out of that crowd comes a man who interrupts him and demands that he make a judgment on an issue of an inheritance between this man and his brother. So there in verse 13, he comes up and he interrupts Jesus. He says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with money, with me, excuse me. So the first story that Jesus tells us about money is one of de- uh, desperation and preoccupation. The man has become so preoccupied with his inheritance, with his portion of his, the inheritance, that he, is, that he has allowed it to destroy the relationship between him and his brother. How do I know this? Well, I know this because he's gone to a third party, Jesus, presumably somebody that he does not know, but he recognizes as a teacher, he's gone to a third party to adjudicate it. He's asking Jesus to, in, to get inside of his family relationship and to make the judgment that the brothers should give him the inheritance. This is not the picture of relational health, is it? Right? This is the triangle of all triangles. Look, if I'm going to make a triangle, like if I have an argument with you and I'm going to make a triangle, I'm going to go to Jesus because he's the number one person, right? If I want to have power over you, Jesus is the one. And what does Jesus do? He gets right in the middle, right? No. He looks at the guy and goes, who made me judge and arbiter over your life? He says, what? Why are you coming to me? And then he turns to his disciples. He turns away from the man, and he, makes a, he tells the story about this man's life. He says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Basically, take care and be on your guard against greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You see, Jesus has come to teach us about the kingdom life not about the life of this world. He's come to contrast the life of this world, which is death and destruction, with the life of the kingdom to come, which is abundance and eternal life in him. I want to ask you a personal question, friends. What's your relationship with money and possessions? How much time do you think about it? How much time do you think about having more of it? How much time do you think about paying for the stuff that you already bought? How many times do you think about getting a bigger house? See, this is a challenging question for me too. Because see, I'm a guy who likes spreadsheets and planning. I like to see where it all is and where it's all going. And I've had to ask this question this week of myself. Is the attention of, that I give money just about wise stewardship of what God's given me or an unhealthy preoccupation in which I myself control my future. I have to look and say, what does my heart say? Am I looking for my money, looking for money to be my safety and security 
Am I looking to find that from God? That's the contrast. That's what Jesus is saying in this example of this first man. But the second story that money tells is one of selfishness and distraction. So he makes this point by telling a parable about a rich man who had a bountiful crop. And so big, he could not keep it all. But because it made him wealthy, he decided to tear down his barns and build bigger barns so that he could store it all, so that his soul could eat, drink, and be merry for a long time. And God responds to this man. He says, you fool. You fool. Tonight your soul, your life will be demanded of you. And what will happen to all of that wealth? You see, he wasn't satisfied with just what he had. He wasn't satisfied with normal abundance. He wanted to be satisfied with extravagance. And this selfishness, this self-love, this self-living has become a distraction from being rich towards God. God said to him, fool, this night your soul is going to be required of you and the things you prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And that's the ultimate contrast here. We are either rich towards ourselves or we are rich towards God. Now, from my human perspective, from my understanding from what the world has taught me, I become the end in myself, my pleasure, my security, my wealth. But if we are to hold that up to a mirror for a moment, right? If we are to look at it from God's perspective, we see a reversal. Others become the object of our lives. Their joy and happiness when they find Christ, their security when they receive eternal life, when they receive the abundance of God's blessing through daily provision, their blessing, that is the purpose of our Christian life. Living for Him is where we will find true freedom when it comes to our money and our possessions. He's come to make you and I free in Him. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free is what Paul says. And, find, place, and the place of freedom is for our finances and our possessions and wealth as well. Now, here's the great news. If you're a little nervous, uh, here's the great news. Generous people thrive. This is the promise of Scripture, and it is the promise of life. I was recently reading an article uh, about uh, the research, these researchers and authors of a book called The Paradox of Generosity. And they found as they followed 2,000 people for five years that the more generous you are, the happier you are. And they found that the, uh, if you look at our reading from our book in the book of Proverbs this morning, we learn these truths as well. That the one who gives freely grows all the richer. It's the uh, paradox of, of the Christian life. The one who waters will himself be watered or herself be watered. Whoever trusts in The riches in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. We we talked about this in staff meeting, and then any number of us were like, I want to flourish like a green leaf. Think about a plant that is just thriving, right? Think about a yard that's just growing with beauty. I want to be like that as well in the kingdom of God. That's beautiful news. It is true freedom. I want to flourish. 
I want you to flourish as well. God wants you to flourish. So how do you practically apply this this morning? The first thing we do is we ask God the tough question. Show us our relationship with money. Am I living in freedom because of it? Or am I living in bondage to it? Am I being selfish with it? Or am I being generous to God? And then from that place, decide in your heart, ask God to help you to be generous, more generous tomorrow than you were today. To be more generous now than I was five minutes ago. And to begin to live that way. To be rich towards Him. So how are some of the ways that we can do that? It can mean different things for different people. At the very least, the Bible holds that out that the starting point of our generosity is regular and generous giving to the church. When you give to Holy Cross, you're actively directing other people's hearts to God. Just look. Look around for you. Look, y'all, look around for a minute. Look at other people across the aisle. Some of you are not looking. Go ahead. <laughs> Smile at them, wave, right? When you make a contribution to the church, you are enabling that person's heart to be lifted to the Lord. Truly, it funds the the air conditioning and the sound system and all of the things. You are enabling people to come and encounter the living God. But you're also helping people to do it through uh, family life groups and through our youth ministry and through our outreach opportunities. You are leading people into mission like our Echo Food Drive on November 2nd and like our team that will go to Mexico in just a few weeks. See, being rich towards God doesn't mean selling all your possessions or taking a vow of poverty or not having an IRA, but it might mean having a smaller home and putting some of that money towards mission. Being rich towards God might mean giving away some of the 10 winter coats that you have stored up in your closet or the 100 pairs of shoes hanging in piles of boxes of everywhere. It might mean setting aside a few Starbucks to feed some children in India and to house them and send them to school. See, friends, the possibilities are endless when we are rich towards God, when we seek to respond to God's grace to us with generosity and live generously for the benefit of others, to fulfill the Great Commission. See, that's the reversal of the things of this world. It is the reversal that Christ brings. And it is a reversal that has an effect on our wallets. But more so, it ha- it's a reversal that has an effect on our hearts and our happiness. But most importantly, it is a reversal that has an effect on others as the kingdom of God comes to them and they find salvation. Let us pray. Father, I pray that you would lead us to immense generosity. And as we are generous to you, to you and to your kingdom, we might be grateful for the ways that you provide for us. So Lord, I pray that we would find our hearts transformed this morning by your grace, by your spirit. I pray that as we decide and live generously through you, we might see our relationships restored, and we might see your kingdom come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.